Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. A reminder, as you're making your holiday travel plans, remember JohnnyDollarAir.com. JohnnyDollarAir.com is a Priceline affiliate link, so part of the purchase price goes to support the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. Remember, when making your travel plans, check JohnnyDollarAir.com first. Well, now it is time for... The conclusion of this week's Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Serial. The original air dates are June the 6th, 7th, and 8th of 1956. And this is the Indestructible Mike Matter episodes 3, 4, and 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Huh? What? You're John Wesley Cosgrave, aren't you? That's right. Well, my name's Johnny Dollar. I'm an insurance investigator. Oh, of course. I've been expecting a call from you. Or at least from somebody like you. What's that supposed to mean? I expect you're interested in why I've insured the life of a Bowery bum for $50,000. You bet I am. I want to see you. Why not? Anytime. Only it won't do you any good. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location New York, New York, to the Lakeside Life and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the indestructible Mike matter. Expense account item nine, ten cents, the phone call to John Wesley Cosgrave from my dingy little hotel on the Lower East Side. Item 10, 270, taxi uptown to see Sergeant Randy Singer, Detective Division, 18th Precinct. You get back to that glad hand rescue mission in time? After all, when the lab boys discovered that so-called whiskey was almost pure wood... By the time I got there, Randy, the poor old coot had drunk nearly half the bottle. Oh, that's too bad. Well, I better arrange for him to be hauled down to the morgue. Uh Uh-uh. Old Mike's still alive? And happy. Oh, that's impossible. You don't know the half of it. A week or so ago, somebody stabbed him with an ice pick just below the heart. Result? He said the scar itched a little bit. Two days ago, somebody drove a couple of 38 slugs through him. He said it gave him a slight twitch in his side for a few hours. Johnny, come on now. Now I... he goes and drinks nearly half a bottle of wood alcohol. Poison. Result? A bit of a headache. Indestructible Mike. Indestructible Mike. Where is he now? Locked up in my room at the Brakeley Hotel with orders to eat the groceries I picked up for him and to let nobody in. Good, good. But whoever's trying to get him isn't going to give up. Hey, did you dig up anything on the beneficiary of his $50,000 life policy, Cosgrave? Only enough to scare you to death. Listen to this. John Wesley Cosgrave, formerly known as John W. Gordon, 
John Dutchy Gordon. What? Alias Skippy Grant, alias Dutchy Smith. Wait a minute. 18 arrests, but only one conviction. Back in 1938 for possession of narcotics. Randy. Ever hear of Murder Incorporated? Well, sure, but this... Apparently they had a subsidiary. Apparently your friend Gordon or Cosgrave or whatever you like to call him was one of the big shots in it. But outside of the narcotics bit, the department was never able to really pin anything on him. But this guy's address is... Here, let me see. 621 East 49th Street. Yeah. That's not only a respectable neighborhood, but pretty plush. That's right. Well, how recent is his record? What's he doing now? Last pickup was in 1944. Numbers game and bookmaking. Charges dropped for lack of evidence. Then, apart from the record, is he still in the rackets? He is. Nobody can prove it. Like in the old days, he masterminded and let somebody else do the dirty work. It's listed here as a, quote, retired, unquote. Well, my money says he's still in business. Well, if you can prove it, the department and the DA's office will love you dearly. But I don't think you will. Every time we dragged in a stoolie who could give us what we wanted, something happened to him. Like what? Jump bail. Well, you should have known better than to let him have bail. One of them poisoned in his cell in the tombs. One breakout. His body was found in the East River. Even one suicide. Like to bet I can't tie him in with these attempts on Mike Flynn's life? Well, now, that's something else again. Uh, maybe it's uh, something we should have. No, no, hands off, and I mean All it. All right, I don't get testy about it, John. I like the old guy, and anybody who tries to hurt him has to answer to me. And somebody's tried. <laughs> Expense account item 11, 165. Cab fare to the Smart Modern Apartment Building at 621 East 49th, where the doorman announced that... Mr. J. Wesley Cosgrave was expecting me and to take the elevator to apartment 11B. Come in, Mr. Dollar. The apartment was expensively but tastefully furnished with overall carpeting that felt an inch and a half thick. Several original oils by famous contemporary artists hung on the walls. But it was the man himself who really seemed out of character with the rundown Randy had given me. He was 6'1 or 2, built like a man who spends his odd hours in the gym. Quick, gray eyes, his hair slightly gray at the temples... And his tailor was a master. Do you like it, Mr. Dollar? Huh? What? Well, that is a genuine Picasso you're looking at. And I consider myself very fortunate to possess this original by Salvatore Dali. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I'm sure you'll appreciate the excellent view of the city from these corner windows. Yeah. I must have the best, Mr. Dollar. Only the best. Oh, sit down, please. May I pour you a drink? No. No, thanks. I suppose you're wondering why I decided to buy old Michael Flynn the life insurance policy of which he's so proud. I am. Well, it's really very easy to explain. You see, I was born and brought up on the Lower East Side, Mr. Dollar, in deplorably poor circumstances. My early life was a never-ending struggle for survival and for whatever questionable sort of education I could glean from those about me, many of them criminals, who were my only companions. That's all very touching, Mr. Cosgrave. And I'm afraid I did little to lift myself out of the gutter until one winter night, hungry and broke, I wandered into the Helping Hand Rescue Mission. Yeah, I understand you still go around there now and then. Oh, yes, I do, in the hope that somehow I can help the poor unfortunates there the way the mission and Daddy Bill helped me repay some of the debt I feel I owe. Is that the only reason? What do you mean, is that the only reason? You've given jobs to some of those poor unfortunates from time to time, haven't you? Oh, yes. Yes, I have. What kind of jobs? What business? That's hardly a concern of yours, Mr. Dollar. I've contributed much to the mission. I've tried to make life easier for some of the deserving habituaries of the mission. Yeah. Why? It's the least I can do after so much was done for me. 
In the case of Mike, why, his greatest desire in life was to be the proud owner of life insurance. Why, I don't know. I do. Because you sold him on it. That's a lie. That's a dirty... Is it? Then why make him name you as beneficiary instead of the mission or some other deserving cause? <sighs> that, Mr. Dowler, was his own idea. And since it made him happy, I didn't protest. I suppose the real reason for this particular desire was his feeling that it might give him dignity. That yeah, might... yeah, yeah. Now tell me something. Where does all your money come from, Dutchy? Dutch? Who told you that? Nobody calls me Dutchy no more. Not you, you're nobody else. Them days are over. I'm respectable. Even educated. I wonder. Look at my record. I haven't been on the blotter since 44, and that was a bump. Mr. Dollar, I make no pretensions about not having a past. During Prohibition and later, I made millions. Yes, millions in rum running, in the policy racket, as a betting commissioner. How about narcotics? Sure, there was hardly a caper in this town I didn't have a figure into, and I was smart. I pocketed the profits, not my boys. That's why I can afford to be retired and live decent. And I'm going to keep on living this way. You were lucky some of those boys, that mob of yours, didn't rat on you. Yeah, but thanks to a couple of convenient rub-outs that uh, I had nothing to do with, you understand, I managed to stay clean with the law. And now you're as pure as the driven snow. <laughs> Dollar, if this was the old days, you wouldn't even live long enough to regret what you're implicating, you think. Which makes me dead sure I'm thinking right. I don't know how much money you've got socked away from those old days. I don't care. But from what you've just admitted... To you, Dollar, not to any judge or DA. Right. And I'll never believe that a clever mind like yours, smart enough to keep you out of the pen... Oh, flattery is. won't get you... Nowhere. I refuse to believe you could turn down a chance to make a crooked buck. I don't know what kind of jobs you sent out those poor suckers from the mission on, but the fact they never came back makes that look pretty bad. You can't And along came it. Mike Flynn, poor old alcoholic Mike. Where the talk of insurance came from, I don't know, but it was too good to pass up. Insure his life for 50,000 bucks, have him name you as beneficiary, give him a few dollars so he could spend his last days in a happy alcoholic haze... Then rub him out and collect the 50 Gs. Listen, Dollar, if Mike gets knocked off, neither you nor anybody else is going to be able to tab me with it. And one other thing. Yeah, what's that? As a friendly piece of advice, if I was you, I wouldn't even try. Is that a threat? Oh, Mr. Dollar, you've made a miserable host of me. Come, let me pour you a drink. The finest 25-year-old scotch. And we can talk of pleasant things. For some reason or other, I did have the drink with him. But he knew what was in the back of my mind, and I'm afraid I knew what was in the back of his. Something along the same line as a couple of convenient rubouts. Once or twice, his veneer of education slipped, but all in all, he made a fair conversationalist. Finally, I left. And all the way down to the street, I kept wanting to look back to see if I was being followed. Somehow, somewhere, there was a way to get this, Cosgrave. But I could see it would have to be through someone else, someone working for him. And whoever that might be could very well be out to get me first, or Mike. Item 12295, taxi back to the Brakeley Hotel, where I hoped the old boy was still locked up in my room. He was. Oh, well, Johnny. My, my, I was beginning to wonder what had happened to you. Oh, hey, 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 hey. What, what was the matter with that food I left with you? You hardly touched oh, it. Oh, I had enough. I had, it was kind of dry, though. Kind of dry. There's a container of coffee there. Yes, but coffee just doesn't seem to quench my thirst. Oh. You should let me bring the rest of that bottle along. That wood alcohol? Any more of that would have killed you. Oh, gee, I did have a kick, though, didn't I? <laughs> oh, I don't know how you lived through it. 
Well, look, now I want some lunch. And, Mike, I'm going to take you along with me. Oh, that'll be fine. Could I have maybe a little drink, too? Oh, sure, you can have one. Oh, that's nice. Good. Of course, the size of the drinks they serve nowadays. Oh, just one now. Come on. Oh, that's fine. One will be... There's a lovely saloon just around the corner, you know. Come on. Even sandwiches for those that want them, I understand. Oh, oh, these stairs. Maybe we could just bring a bottle back with us to your room if we are going to come back. Sweet, funny old soul. I loved him. And I knew that without me, he'd be a dead one so fast. So far, the attempts on his life had been made by persons unknown. Unless the mission, Daddy Bill. Could Daddy Bill be somehow tied in with Cosgrave's operations? I wondered. I paid the check. That's item 13285. And we started walking to the Glad Hand Rescue Mission along some of the back streets. I wanted time to think it out, if I could think, over the incessant, pleasant yes, shadow of I'm money. really enjoying life now that I have money now and then. Why, sometimes I get on the subway and I just ride all over town all day long. Yeah, yeah, you told me. See, why don't you try that sometime, Johnny? It's really want to say there's a bar there on the corner. Why don't we just oh, pop no, in? Oh, no, no, let's pass that one. John, why do you feel that you have to look after me this way? You know darn well why I... Hey, watch the curve, why I'm looking after you. It's because somebody's on... Mike, 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 listen to me. Can you hear me, Mike? Hey, mister, get a cop, an ambulance. You mean for him or what's left of him? Yes, hurry. What's the matter with you? Use your eyes, buddy. It's too late. Johnny Dollar. Johnny, this phone number you left for me to call. Are you at Bellevue Hospital? Yeah, Randy. What's wrong? Are you at headquarters? Yeah. A truck ran over Mike Flynn, and I'm sure it was deliberate. But he's alive, I hope. He was four hours ago when I dragged him in here. Indestructible Mike. Uh, I'm not so sure this time. What about that truck? Did you get the license? Yeah, the boys at the first precinct are working on it. Check with them, would you, while I stay here at the hospital? Sure, Johnny. And one other thing. Yeah? Find out how long that Glad Hand Rescue Mission has been in existence. The place where old Mike's been living? Yeah. Why? I don't know, yet. But do it, will you? Sure, and you let me know when Mike's out of danger, huh? Johnny? Better pray a little bit, Randy. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location New York, New York, to the Lakeside Life and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the indestructible Mike matter. The veneer of class and education assumed by J. Wesley Cosgrave just wasn't thick enough to hide the fact that he was better known a few years ago as Dutchy Gordon. And to the old-time racketeer, it looked like a cinch. Pick up a Bowery bomb like Mike Flynn. Insure his life for 50 grand. Give him a few weeks of high living. Then knock him off and collect the insurance. Yeah, a real cinch. Especially for Cosgrave, who'd learned as far back as the early days of Prohibition how to employ hired thugs to do the dirty work while he sat back and collected the profits. I knew as surely as I'm sitting here that Cosgrave was behind the knifing, the shooting, and now this accident to old Mike. But how to prove it? Yeah, sitting here in the waiting room of the hospital, waiting... Waiting for some word of Mike's condition. Mr. Dollar? Oh, yes, Doc. Can I see him now? Very shortly, I believe. Oh, how, how is he? Is he There's going... a phone call for you at the floor desk. Oh. This way, please. Thanks. 
But how is Mike? Doc, how is he? Uh, you'll be able to see him shortly. Here you are. Oh, thanks. Johnny Dollar. Ah, Mr. Dollar, I was quite sure that you'd be there at the hospital. This is J. Wesley Cosgrave. What made you think that? Why, because of the accident to Michael Jeremiah Flynn. How did you know about it? I kept it out of the papers. I find it helpful to know about a lot of things that don't get into the papers. Well, your boy goofed, Cosgrave. Mike is still alive. My boy? You know as well as I do, Dutchie, that one of your mob was at the wheel of that truck that ran him down. You better keep your yap shut, Dollar. I... I... I thought I made it plain to you earlier that I no longer have any connection with the doings of the, uh, shall we say, underworld. Oh, sure, sure. As for poor old Mike, I understand it was an accident, a very unfortunate... Knock it off, Cosgrave. I was there when it happened. Oh? Yeah. Pretty stupid of a would-be killer to try that with an investigator right next to Mike, wasn't it? Did you see the driver of the truck? Suppose I did. You say he wasn't one of your boys, so what difference would it make to you? Why, none. None at all. Did you see him? Why don't you worry about that for a while? Again, I waited. Sat and waited. And paced the corridor of the hospital. Outside, the sun sank slowly behind the horizon of skyscrapers, and the busy clamor of the day's traffic segued to the softer, muffled, but still busy traffic hum of night. And I waited. And smoked. And waited. Finally, it must have been close to midnight... The nurse led me quietly down the hall and indicated the private room that I'd had set aside for Mike. After brief instruction about not staying too long, she pushed open the door for me and she tiptoed away. And there, lo and behold, in all his glory, his head swathed in bandages but wearing a smile a mile wide, sat indestructible Mike. Hi there, Johnny. Mike! Oh, Mike. You old reprobate. I guess there is something in prayer after all. Uh, how about this, Johnny? Isn't this swell? Isn't this the finest place you ever saw? Oh, Mike, you're going to be okay, aren't you? going to be? Yeah, I am now. But I guess I had those doctors scared. Oh, my, 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 Johnny. You just should have seen the way they fluttered around. All. And those nurses, Johnny. I never saw such beautiful ladies in all my life. And so nice. And doesn't it smell good in here? The disinfectant they use in here is much nicer than Daddy Bill has at the mission. And you know something? I haven't seen a single bed bug. Not even a cockroach. Oh, Mike. Mike, I'm so glad to see you in one piece. Oh, sure I am. But an old bum hasn't any right in a pretty place like this. You had no more business living through that accident than... Oh, Johnny, how you talk. Yeah, yeah, and you mustn't talk so much. No matter how good you feel, you need rest. Time to heal up whatever got broken. Broke? Oh, me? Well, you still need rest and quiet. Here, I'll turn off this light. Uh, <laughs> I'll see you in the morning. Oh, but, uh, Johnny. Yeah? Johnny, how can I just sleep? Oh, too much pain, huh? Want the nurse to give you a hypo? Oh, they filled me up with more needles than you ever saw, but there's only one real painkiller, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I'll see you later. If the administration of Bellevue Hospital ever found out that I was back in Mike's room a few minutes later, and why, they'd probably have my neck. But I, I didn't leave the whole bottle with him, I swear it. Only about three fingers in his water tumbler. And the blissful expression on his face as he closed his eyes to sleep made me sure I'd done right. Item 15180, taxi back to my dingy little hotel. 
And I thanked whatever gods may be that old Mike had pulled through. He'd been right. They just couldn't seem to kill him. So far. But I knew they wouldn't give up. Not with $50,000 at stake. $50,000 more to line the pockets of Dutchie Gordon, who I was sure was just as much of a racketeer as ever, despite his present name of J. Wesley Cosgrave and his pretense of gentility. Because his henchmen had always feared to squeal or died violently before they could, the police had nothing on him. My job was to find one of the mob, make him sing. But how? I guess I was still thinking or dreaming about it when my phone rang the next morning. Hello? Jay Dollar. This is Jay Dollar. Hello? Oh. 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 Johnny Dollar. Hey, you still in bed? Mm -hmm. Oh, Randy. Yeah, I thought you were going to call me. Is he still alive? He sure was when I last saw him at about midnight. Oh, that's a miracle after what that truck did to him. And say... Yeah? uh, the boys downtown found that truck. Yeah? Yeah, it had been stolen and was abandoned. Did they find any prints on it? Plenty. Whose? Lefty Skillman. Well, have they picked yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They found him all right, tied up in a sack floating in the East River. Old-time gangster style. Oh, so help me. I knew that when Cosgrave you found say, out... You uh, say Mike's going to be okay? Randy, he was sitting up in bed perky as a cockatoo. No. I don't know how he does it. Why, he was all ready to pack up and go back to the Glad Hand Rescue Mission. Huh? Felt he didn't deserve to be in such a nice, clean place as the hospital. <laughs> Bless his foolish heart. Did you find out anything for me about that flop house? Yeah, that's what I called you about. Uh, but you still haven't told me... Well, what'd you find? Uh, well, according to the records, the building was put up in uh, 1901. As a mission? As a piano store, 1901 to 1906. A real respectable place. Then? Well, that section began to degenerate. 1906 to 18 was a cheap grocery store. 18 from 1956? From 18... 1918 to 22 was a second-hand clothing store and a speakeasy till 1929. Keep going, Randy. I guess the Depression knocked that out because next it was a saloon. How long? Let's see, uh, 1944. That's when William Grover Larkin took over the lease. Daddy Bell. Yeah, that's right. I knew it, Randy, I knew it. Yeah, what? Dutchy Gordon, alias J. Wesley Cosgrave, told me that he'd got a hand from that mission when he was just a kid. Hmm? That would have meant 25, 30 years ago at least. Yeah, it's only been a mission for 12, but... Hey, wait a minute. The lease on that property, when it was a speakeasy, it was in the name of Larkin, too. Ed, one more fact, Randolph, and you see what I'm getting at. What's that? Your own police files show Cosgrave was still in the rackets in 44. Yeah, but on a charge that we couldn't substantiate. Right. Tie him up. Cosgrave was a rum runner during Prohibition. Daddy Bill ran the speak for him since 1944. Whoa, 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 now, boy. You're trying to build a case on purely circumstantial evidence. All right, but I think I can make it stick. Now, listen... Where does Cosgrave get the thugs for whatever job he's pulling now? If he is. Of course he is. And he gets them out of that flop house. The boys he gives jobs to that are never seen again, remember? Yeah, wow. Hey, maybe it does tie up. Oh, you bet your sweet life it does. At least I'm going to tie it up. No, no, no. Take it easy, Johnny. Just how are you going to go about it? Well, the first thing I'm going to... Well, hold it. Huh? What's the matter? Somebody outside the door of this room, I think. Hold on, Randy. Yeah, no, no, no. Wait, wait, Wait a minute, Johnny. All right, what do you think you're doing? Johnny, hello, hello! Whoever hit me with whatever he hit me with wasn't fooling me. In the second before I passed out, I vaguely remember hearing a voice, the voice of the room clerk, shouting at whoever it was, and the sound of footsteps running away. Then blackness, and a dark, heavy throbbing in my head. Then after a long time, another familiar voice. It was Randy, I think. Dimly, somewhere along the line, I could see figures bending over me. 
hear the voice again. Then more darkness and the weird sounds in my brain. Other sounds, too, that seem familiar and seem meaningless. 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 Finally, after an eternity of jumbled sounds and shadows, a cold, bright light pierced into my slowly returning consciousness. And momentarily, I could see a man in white and women in... Yeah, yeah, a hospital. These were the doctor and the nurses. I tried to speak to them. I couldn't. But slowly, a realization of what had happened came to my muddled mind. Randy on the telephone had heard the attack on me and had brought help. An ambulance had brought me here. For a brief moment, I saw the glint of a needle poised above my arm. Then blackness again. But a soft, quiet, peaceful blackness. Johnny. Johnny. Hmm. Johnny. Oh, wow. Well, what are you... <laughs> Johnny. Oh. That's the boy. Oh. Wake up. Huh? Mike? <laughs> That's right. Isn't it nice they put you in the same room oh. with me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mike. Your policeman friend, Sergeant. Mm. And he told me something, Johnny. And he's right. Mm. You've got to be careful. They're out to get you, too. Johnny Dollar. Randy Singer, Johnny. How you feeling? Thanks to you and having got me here pretty good. Bellevue's a good hospital. I'll be released within the hour. So will Mike Flynn. And? I'm going down to the Glad Hand Rescue Mission to straighten out a few things with Daddy Bill. Sounds to me like it ought to be police business, Johnny. I'll be right over. No, no. Let me handle this alone. You got your gun? You bet your sweet life I have. Johnny? I'll report to you later. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location New York City, to the Lakeside Life and Casualty Company. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the indestructible Mike matter. Item 16, 190, cab fare for Mike Flynn and myself, Bellevue Hospital to the dingy Hotel Brakeley. Both of us had our heads still swathed in bandages. With the help of the room clerk, I installed Mike in a small room on the fifth floor, with instructions to keep his door locked. In my own room, room 203, I picked up my 38 and donned the old clothes I'd bought. Item 17, 55 cents, taxi to the neighborhood of the Glad Hand Rescue Mission. For obvious reasons, I walked the last couple of blocks. When I got there, the big front assembly room was empty. So was the soup kitchen in the back of the place. I called Daddy Bill's name a couple of times and got no answer. And finally decided to wait for him in the little room back of the assembly hall that he used for an office. I still felt a little shaky from the blow on the head, so I didn't mind just sitting a while. But I left the door open a crack, and a few minutes later heard the street door open. It wasn't Daddy Bill, but I recognized him as a newcomer to the mission whom I'd seen on my first visit. He made directly for the little office. All ready, Daddy. Uh, Why, you ain't Daddy Bill, sir. No. Do you know where he is? Yeah, out shopping. At least that's where he said he was going. 
Didn't I see you in here the other day? Why, yes, sir, I guess you did. Uh, my name's Emery. I just read the rods in from Ohio. <laughs> Boy, I had to. I got myself in a jam back there. That, yeah, I guess I just got me too much muscle. <laughs> uh, but they won't catch up with me here. Daddy Bill promised me that. Say, I should have known you wasn't him in here. Oh? Sure, he said he wouldn't be back for another hour. You plan to wait for him? Sure do. He promised me a job. I would money on it. Enough money, he said, to get clear out of the country. And he'd help me do it. Doesn't it strike you funny, bud, that a guy running a place like this would help you skip the country? Man, when you're like me and you get a helping hand, you just don't ask no questions. Uh, you see Mike? Mike Flynn? Yeah, he come back? No, why? Uh, Daddy Bill left me a package for him. For him or Johnny if they come back here. Well, uh, I'm Johnny. Well, here, I'll get it. It's right outside the door here. Yes, sir, liquor, he said. And uh, maybe you let me have some. Here, see? I'll take it. Liquor, did you say? That's what he said. Let's open, huh? No, no, hands off. Well, look here, man. Old Mike always shares his stuff with Lefty Skillman. Lefty Skillman. It was Lefty who'd run us down with a truck whose body was found in the river. Lefty, one of Daddy Bill's poor unfortunates here at the mission. Things were beginning to add up, and this package left for Mike and me. Liquor, he said. But it didn't gurgle. Henry, listen to me. Sure, Johnny, but Forget not. this package. I'm taking it with me back to the Waldorf. Waldorf? Yeah, that's right. That's where I'm staying. Don't let these clothes fool you. I thought there was something funny about you, the way you talk so fine. You a dick... Never mind. If Danny Bill wants me, that's where I'll be. Old Mikey won't find, because I got him in room 203 at the Brakeley Hotel. Room 203? Forget it. He's still recovering from that accident. Shouldn't be disturbed. He's all doped up anyway. That's why I took him to the Brakeley, where nobody will find him. Yeah, room I said forget about that room 203. If Daddy Bill wants me, tell him to call me at the Waldorf. Item 18, 10 cents. Phone call from a booth in the street to Sergeant Randy Singer. Item 19, five bucks even for a fast but gentle taxi ride to the 18th Precinct, where Randy had promised to have the lab boys alerted for me. Oh, is this it, Johnny? Yeah, and handle it softly, please. Okay, okay. You gonna stick around no, till all that? No, I'm going back to the Brakeley to, uh, to make sure Mike is all right. Yeah, now look here, Johnny. Call the Waldorf for me. Get me registered there. Instruct the desk that if there are any calls for me, I'm eating lunch or something, and I'll be back in my room in, say, an hour. Bye. Do it. I'll see you later. <laughs> Item 19, taxi back to the Brakeley Hotel, to the service entrance in the alley. For five bucks, the freight elevator operator swore he'd tell no one he'd seen me take the back stairs to room 203. My room, not Mike's, as I told Emery at the mission. Office? Room clerk? That's right. This is Johnny Dollar in 203. Oh, yes. Are you still working on Now listen, listen carefully. If the police call me, put them through. Very well. But to anyone else who calls or comes looking for me, I'm not here. I never was here. You never heard of me, understand? Oh, yes, indeed, Mr. Dollar. We've worked with police and private investigators before. Okay, but if anybody wants to know about Mike Flynn, I want... Flynn? Yeah, the old bum I had you put in the room up on the fifth floor. Oh, yes. If anybody asks for him, tell him he's in this room, 203. Oh, very well. You sure you got that straight? Yes, sir. Time was on my side, I hoped. Emery back at the mission had said Daddy Bill wouldn't return for an hour, but I couldn't be sure. As quickly as I could, I spilled a half bottle of whiskey around the room in the hope it would give the effect old Mike was there. Then I pulled down all the shades and drew the drapes tight across the windows. I turned down the bed and mussed up the covers so it would be ready for me. My watch said I still had time to kill, so I ran upstairs to Mike's room on the fifth and carrying a fifth. Well, bless my soul, Johnny. 
And look what you've brought me. On one condition, Mike. Oh, oh yes. Oh, anything you Oh, you've been so good to me. I want you to promise that no matter what happens, you'll stay right here in this room until I come back. Why, of you. course, Johnny. Of anything you say. Especially now that you brought me this bottle to kind of keep me company. Say, wouldn't you like a little nip before you go? No, no, thanks. Oh, and keep this door locked. Oh, now you sure you wouldn't like just one little bit? No. I hate to think of me having it all alone when you probably need it as much as I do. Oh, oh, say, Johnny. Yeah? When are you and I going to be able to take these awful-looking bandages off our heads? We'll talk about that later. i got to get back to my room. Now, you sure I can't tip you? I'm sure. Now lock this door. All right, Johnny. But if you decide you want a little nip with me... Quickly and quietly, I went back downstairs to 203 and cautiously let myself in, leaving the door unlocked. Nobody been there. I'd made it in time. But now all I could do was wait. Yeah, Randy. Better make it fast. Oh, what's the matter? What'd you call about? That pretty little package you dropped off for the lab, lads? Yeah. <laughs> you sure were right about it. A bomb, huh? If you or Mike had opened that package by now, you'd be spread all over the island in tiny little pieces. Look, Johnny, come on, let me in on it, huh? What are you up to down there? I'll tell you when it's all over. That is, if what I think is going to happen does happen. You sure you don't want some help? No, I think I can... Gotta go. I'd heard footsteps out in the hall. Quickly, I slid into the bed, leaving nothing but my heavily bandaged head showing. The footsteps passed. And then, far down the corridor, I heard a door open and close. I lay still and waited. And lying there, thinking, I began to wonder if I'd been right in turning down Randy's offer of help. Yet how could he help with a... Footsteps again. And this time, they stopped outside my door. It's all clear out here in the hall. That voice was Daddy Bill's, and he wasn't alone. Mike? Mike? You want on the light? Mike? Oh, he's in here all right. Smell that booze? He's there on the bed, asleep. You mean drunk? Close the door. Hey, Sam, dead to the world. Are you sure this is going to be safe, Dutchie? Why do you suppose I took so long to case the joke? Yeah, but what about Dollar? I told you, Bill, at the Waldorf. You sure? You talked to him? No, no, he was in the coffee shop. Now, shut up, get this over with. Yes. Always we do the dirty work for you. All right, this one I'll do myself. Well, who's... Shut up. Johnny. Oh, Johnny. Wait a minute, that's Mike. Who's on that bed? Shut up. All right, Dollar. He can get up out of that bed and take it in the chest or lay there and get it in the back. All right, Cosgrave. Touchy. Both hands up high. Drop that gun. Sure. Johnny. Shut him up out there, Bill. Yeah, Daddy Bill. Quiet, Dollar. You'd better do something, Cosgrave. You have two witnesses. The man who always kept his skirts clean, huh? Quiet. Bill, let him in. We'll lock them both off, make it look like a fight between them. Something... No, no, wait. Boss, we... Johnny, is something... To... I'm coming in. Oh, no, you don't. Get back, Mike! Get back! 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 Get
Randy. Hey, you're real rough, aren't you? Now, wait a minute there, Mike. Get up off his chest. I want to see what your dear friend Daddy Bill looks like. What'd you hit him with, anyway? Oh, dear. The poor bottle's all broken. Best thing could happen to you, Mike. Ah. Well, this is Dutchy Gordon, alias J. Wesley Cosgrave. He won't be for long. What? Well, what's that, Daddy Bill? You feeling better? He always hung it on somebody else. Uh, what are you talking about? Lefty, shorty, all of them. This one, he'd have hung on me. Well, not this time. That gun! Look out! Yikes! Put it down! Oh. Randy? Cosgrave, dead as a doornail. When Daddy Bill comes to after that sock on the chin, you can tell him he's cooked his own goose. My, 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 my. The world will be a bit better without Dutchie Gordon, alias J. Wesley Cosgrave. And of course, the courts will take care of Daddy Bill Larkin. Plenty. Mike? Indestructible Mike? Well, he'll probably outlive the rest of us. I hope I can get down to see him now, then. Talk over our great adventure together. Expense account total, $1,126.50, which is a lot less than the $50,000 you might have had to pay off on Mike. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Now, here's our star to tell you about next week's intriguing story. Next week... The heady romance of moonlight on a lonely beach in Mexico. Moonlight from a killer's moon. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote this story. Heard in this week's cast were Howard McNair, Lawrence Dobkin, Harry Bartell, Herb Bygren, Alan Reed, and Roy Glenn. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino and Carl Fortina. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Last time through, I think the indestructible Mike Matter was probably my least favorite cereal. But this time, I appreciate it a bit more. To be sure, there are flaws, and I think a lot of that comes down to the writing. As often happens in Johnstone cereals, we're treated to policemen whose arrival is so quick and sudden that they must be teleporting. Cosgrave's plan was dumb. His big play to collect on Mike's insurance policy attracted the attention of both the police and the insurance uh, company and put his nice, quiet operation at risk for a reward he didn't really need. His lie about having been helped at the mission was also foolish. It's one of those things where the writer wants us to believe that we're dealing with a criminal mastermind, but every step he makes is just so transparent, obvious, and poorly considered. And I can't say a whole lot for Johnny's insistence on taking Cosgrave himself, as the only thing it served was dramatic tension rather than any real in-universe benefits. Still, I guess having listened to Philo Vance recently leaves me a bit more tolerant of dumb plans because this story doesn't feature one of the top 10 dumb plans that I've heard this year. Yet, if I'm fair, I don't think the story is bad even if it has its flaws and there's a lot to like about it in terms of production and performance. Uh, the strengths really stand out. I think Johnny's real uh, affection for Mike is sweet, and it speaks to the sort of humanity that attracts people to Bob Bailey's portrayal of Johnny Dollar even 70 years later. Of course, this uh, was a role made for Howard McNear, and he really brings the character to life with all the sort of eccentricity that McNear really excelled at portraying. When talking about this run of Johnny Dollar, there are probably three actors people credit a lot. Uh, Bob Bailey, Virginia Gregg, and McNear. And uh, that's rightly so. They really had some solid performances. However, there were so many good uh, performances that have stood out to me as we've been going through the serials this time. You know, we, we've had a few weeks where Jeanette Nolan turned in really intriguing, well-done characters. And I have to admit that Alan Reed really did a great job with Cosgrave. Uh, I, I don't think there was a whole lot to do with the character that was all that unique in Episode 5, but he really got a bit of a chance to shine in Episode 3 where he had this really long scene. He had to shift from being Cosgrave, the retired gentleman, uh, to being a menacing hood. And he did this multiple times throughout the conversation. Sometimes he was changing uh, within the same sentence. And he does it flawlessly in a way that makes it really believable uh, that this uh, character is struggling with this, uh, and at the same time brings some solid minutes. Now, Fred Flintstone is a great legacy for Reed, but he had some serious acting talent that I think a lot of people forget about. I also had to appreciate the segment in episode four where Johnny loses consciousness. It's such a great way to take the audience into this disorienting place with our hero. While some shows will have the detective narrate as he's drowning or running out of breath, 
or even being drugged, this creates a well-crafted sound experience where you really kind of enter into it with your hero. Uh, this must have taken some real skill to design, particularly with the audio engineering technology that you had available in 1956. Overall, I don't think this is one of my top 10 episodes. I know that many list it as one of their favorites, but I think that it might at least be in my top 50 after uh, really getting a chance to reflect on it again. Now, John Abbott noted in his book, The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter, that there was an actual case in 1933 where five acquaintances attempted to murder a former firefighter named Iron Mike Malloy, and there were multiple failed attempts, as we heard in the episode. But in real life, the murder attempt did eventually succeed. Uh, in, even though the criminals were all brought to justice. The story served as an inspiration for many different uh, programs uh, beyond the indestructible mock matter. Uh, there was an episode of the 1980s series uh, Amazing Stories that was inspired by the same incident. I also heard an episode of the Mutual Radio Theater uh, in 1980, uh, and it had the title of Oh Really No O'Reilly and was set in the Old West, probably about 30 to 40 years before the real life incident that inspired it. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And Carrie had a question on listening to uh, our special. I uh, just finished listening to The House on 92nd Street and noticed that a lot of the incidental and transitional music seemed to be identical to music from Tales of the Texas Rangers and Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I wonder if they used recorded samples or live music uh, reproducing those small snippets of music. Any thoughts? Well, thanks so much for the question, and I've covered this in some other contexts, uh, but by the time you get to the 1950s, television was really starting to eat into the profit margin of radio. And so radio shows had to reduce expense in order to continue on the air, particularly dramatic programs. And what you saw was a shift away from orchestrated uh, scores. You listen to, say, Let George Do It in the mid-40s, and they've got a full orchestra doing the score. They ended up downgrading to organ music, and some programs, and I think most of the shows over NBC, started a system where you would have the original theme, and then all of your incidental music would be exactly the same thing across every single show. And it would come from a pre-recorded music library. And this really became kind of the standard at NBC, but you also began to hear it on CBS programs. Now, it wasn't true of every program. The big exception over NBC, obviously, is Dragnet. But Dragnet, one, had a sponsor and was therefore bringing in money and could afford to have its full score. And it was also a flagship program. But most programs weren't like Dragnet. So for so many programs, once you get past the opening theme 
all the incidental music, it's all exactly the same thing, one show very much like another, and that was just how radio tried to economize because they had to. Thanks so much for the question, Carrie. And now uh, it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day, and I want to go ahead and thank John. John has been one of our Patreon supporters since August 2022, currently supporting the program at the Detective Sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, John. And that will actually do it for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. We'll be back with the start of another Yours Truly Johnny Dollar serial next Tuesday. But join us back here tomorrow for Dragnet where... Nine minutes later at four minutes past midnight, the men from the crime lab showed up. It started to drizzle. They went over the room in detail. They dusted everything in the room for fingerprints, the walls, the doors, the fixtures in the bathroom, the lamps, chairs, everything. They took samples of the girl's blood and her lipstick. Small pieces of flesh and human hair were found under the girl's fingernails. The nails were scraped carefully and the contents put in an envelope, marked and sealed. Ed Backstrand ordered pictures taken of the room and the girl's body from different angles. Every object in the room that could have any possible tie-in with a murder was photographed. It was raining. The rear of the hotel where the fire escape was overlooked a vacant lot. Ben had a hunch. While the lab men were at work, we left the hotel and circled around into the lot for a look at the ground directly underneath the fire escape ladder. It was raining hard now. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.